Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Talk Radio. If it's in business, it's business soup. I'm your host, John Dibbavoise. We are in a time of great change. So, how do you make the most of it? Well, you're in the right place. You're right here at Business Soup. And we're going to be talking with the champion of change from Entrepreneur Magazine, its editor-in-chief, Jason Pfeiffer. We're going to be talking about all the things that you can do to build for tomorrow and get to the future which you are in charge of. How do you get in Entrepreneur Magazine? Yes, that was my number one question. Well, listen up because all of the ingredients on how you can get attention and get your message out is coming out right here on Business Soup, where business and entrepreneurs come for business. Jason, welcome to this serving of Business Soup. I'm happy to be here. It's a pleasure. Hey, Jason, you are the editor-in-chief at Entrepreneur Magazine, and what a great place to work. You've got this long history of working with other publications. At Entrepreneur, you're looking at what? When it comes to your desk, what are you evaluating? Who comes in? Who doesn't? How does yeah, work? right. It's so funny. You know, people reach out to me and they ask me what specific quality, you know, what size does a company need to be? What kind of success do they have to have? And it doesn't work like that. So when I joined Entrepreneur in 2015 and they became the editor-in-chief in 2016, I realized there is an opportunity here for this brand to speak to everybody who calls themselves an entrepreneur, which, which I'm sure you know is very different today than it was in, in years past. The word entrepreneur for most of the 40-something years that Entrepreneur Magazine has been around was a word that meant, if anything, to people, a small business person, a particular kind of career. Nobody knew how to spell the word. And now it is a mindset. It's an identity. It's a badge of honor. I define entrepreneur as someone who makes things happen for themselves. Well, let me back up for a moment. I've got to say that a half a life ago of me, I was an entrepreneur then, and everybody thought, well, that just means you're unemployed with a dream. Right, exactly. Didn't mean anything to anybody. And now we've reached this moment where being an entrepreneur, taking risks, trying to control your own destiny, having an idea and seeing it through is something that we celebrate culturally, which is amazing. So I wanted this brand to speak to that. And I wanted it to speak to everybody, no matter how they come to the term entrepreneur. And so to your question, is there some kind of specific thing that we focus on? The answer is not by numbers. What I tend to focus on is I'm looking for stories of people who solved problems, because that's the one thing that all entrepreneurs have in common. It's the emotional experience of entrepreneurship. It's problem solving. I want stories of people who solved problems in smart, counterintuitive ways so that anybody in any industry could read that story and say, ah, that is so smart. I wish I thought of that. That's the barrier for me. So it's not about, oh, we raised $10 million. It's not about, we just sold X amount. It's not any of that. It is, did you solve some interesting problem in some interesting way that others could learn from? It sounds like you're describing an infomercial that I see on late night and I going, my God, why didn't I think of that? I've got to have one. There's a problem. I didn't know I needed a spin mop all these years. I didn't so know the may- mop should be spinning. <laughs> 
Right. So you make an important distinction, which is that, and, and people, people often misunderstand me when I talk about problem solving. There's two kinds of problem solving in entrepreneurship. There is identifying a problem out in the world and then building a product or a service that solves that problem for people, right? That's the foundation yeah. of the business. And then there is solving the problem in your own business as you try to get this thing to work. I ran out of money. My manufacturing system doesn't work. I got this great order from Walmart and I couldn't fulfill it. And now no retailer trusts me. Whatever the case is, it's solving the problem inside of the business. Not that you started a business to solve a problem. It's that you had to solve a problem to stay in business. Those are the stories that I'm looking for. Ah, so if I've discovered that perhaps my clientele has outgrown my capacity, and then you're looking for the story on, okay, how did I overcome that objection? How did I solve the problem and not lose my business or lose my clients that are knocking on my door to expand my business? I'll tell you one of my favorite versions of this. Really short, sweet, funny. This woman named Joelle sends me an email and she's telling me about this butter dish that she created called Buttery. And, you know, on its face, it's a smart product, but it's not something that we would write about. What's special about Buttery? Well, it's a butter dish that's on a hinge. And so that means you don't lift up the top, you open it on a hinge. And that's really great because it means you can leave your butter out. It can be nice and warm and spreadable whenever. And it's not going to become a big giant mess because you're taking this lid off all the time. And so um, that's her product and that's cool. And that's not a story for us. That is her identifying a problem, which is leaving butter out and it's a big mess and solving it. But then she tells me that she was trying to figure out what price point should she sell this thing at? What colors do people want? And she didn't know the answers to that. And so she wanted to hire a market research company who could help her understand that. And so she went to a market research company and she said, how much would it cost for you to do this research for me? And they said $10,000. And she doesn't have $10,000. So what's she going to do? Well, she doesn't know. And then she's sitting at the airport waiting to board a flight, pre-COVID obviously. <laughs> and yep. she looks around and she realizes, oh my, an airport is full of people who have absolutely nothing better to do than answer questions about butter dishes. Nothing better to do. And so she was able to go from gate one to gate eight and ask all these people questions about the butter dish. And when she gets to gate eight, the people at gate one are all brand new and she can just keep doing this. And so every time that she has to fly somewhere, she just shows up hours and hours early because you can show up whenever you want. And she just starts doing her market research by herself. You know, not telling people that she made the product, but just presenting herself as a market researcher. And this is how she does this market research without spending $10,000. Now, the reason I love this story is because it's clever, it's smart, and I know because I've done it a million times, I can stand up in front of a room full of entrepreneurs at some conference or something, again, pre-COVID, and I can tell this story and everybody in the audience, no matter what they're doing, I'm sure none of them are making butter dishes, they all can say, ah... That's so smart. That makes me think about how I can be resourceful in some new way. And those are the stories that I love. That is a great story. I, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. Well, now, now you have a solution to your butter problem. If I've got something that I want to sell you, how do you want to be sold? In other words, if I've got this great idea and this solution to the problem, how do I get it to you? What format? Is it like a press release? Or how do I ring the bell at Entrepreneur and get your attention? Well, so never send a press release. Just like forget the term press release. It's just antiquated. What you do, I'll tell, let me I'll answer your question directly and then I can give you some background thinking. What you do is you send an email. I mean, it's as simple as that. Don't call, don't send a DM on Twitter. Just send an email and make it a human email. Don't send me some form. Don't send me something that looks like it's been sent to 50,000 other people. Send me 
an email, a human email, human to human, in which you have thought about how your story fits into Entrepreneur. And when I say thought, I mean that you did some thinking and work on it, right? You read Entrepreneur, you think about the stories that we write and the way that we tell them. And then you present your story and your information in a way that you think is going to be relevant to the reader. Because here's the thing, and now let me zoom out a little bit. A journalist, uh, this is going to sound harsh, but I think that people need to hear it. A journalist does not care about you or your business. They don't. You know what they do care about? They care about their reader. That's who they care about. That's their job. Their job is to serve their reader. But people tend to misunderstand who people in media are. And oftentimes they treat them as service providers. People will reach out to me. How can I get a feature in your magazine? I don't know. I'm not a service provider, right? It's like asking me to deliver you. How do I get a hamburger? I don't know. I don't sell hamburgers, right? What I do is I serve my readers. And so if you can approach me with your story told to me in a way in which I can see value for my readers, well, now I'm interested because I'm not a service provider and my job is not to be here giving you publicity, but my job is to help my reader by telling them great stories. And if yours is a great story to tell, then I will tell it and I'm happy to. So that's the distinction that people need to understand. I need to get less emails that say, how do I get a feature in your magazine? I would like a feature in your magazine. And I need more stories that say, I loved this story that you just wrote. Ah, uh, And here's my story. And I'm going to tell it and I'm going to tell it. I mean, don't say this directly, but and I'm going to tell it to you in a way in which I know it's going to be of value to your readers. Very interesting. So when they do that, it shows to you receiving the email that they've been paying attention. They read your article and everyone who writes anything or publishes anything, they want people to know that it's out there and that it's being read or seen or heard. My case. It's not a prerequisite at all, but... It shows uh, involvement, things. engagement. It shows involvement and engagement, exactly. And it also means that it's just possible. It's more likely that the thing that you're going to tell me is on point. Entrepreneur has been around for, well, a long while. and 40-something years. Yeah, 40-something years. And I was in your office uh, half my life ago when I first started in radio. And you've grown quite a bit in those, in those decades since then. You're doing webinars. Are these third-party presentations? Are they entrepreneur ideas as a group of the staff sit around and go, we need to produce this? How does that come to life? We've been doing these for a bunch of different reasons for a long time. So for example, sometimes we'll do a webinar with a sponsor, but the real change for webinars for us came at the beginning of COVID because at that point, people were hungry for information, desperate for it. And there were a lot of questions that needed to be answered, right? Everything from really tactical stuff to how do I market myself in this new economy to when PPP was the big thing. So uh, we started just throwing these webinars together as fast as we could. It's all done in-house. We would identify an expert or we'd have a subject. Uh, We're all very well connected with experts. And so people would reach out to us or we'd reach out to people. You know, I I would think, hey, um, we should do a webinar about how to do good and help consumers and and other businesses during this time. Well, I'm looking at one on your website. It says, grow your business through international sales. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I should. There's nothing wrong with that. And so you've surrounded yourself, as I like to do, with experts. That's right. And they present in your webinar with a solution to a problem that I maybe I didn't even know that existed. And here's the solution. And at the end of it, what am I looking to achieve? Is this a marketing opportunity or is it just fact-filled information? 
Well, it's a number of different things. And, and I think for anybody who is listening to this, who is servicing an audience in some way, and you don't have to be running a media company to be doing that. I think every brand should be, is in the information business and should be producing content. A webinar does a couple different things. First of all, it's great service. Um, it's, it's, you know, video makes things very personable and you can put whoever your face of brand is for entrepreneur, it's me on on these things. I don't do all the webinars, but I do some of them. And, um, and then also, and this is also really important. If you're, if you're, if you're providing a product or service to an audience, a webinar is a good opportunity to produce something with a very simple gate in front of it. So you could create a free webinar. And the only thing that people need to do is sign up for it. And that means that they give you their email addresses. And an email address is gold. You should be collecting email addresses because obviously that is your most direct way to contact your consumer. You don't want to rely on Facebook's algorithm to reach your consumer. You want to be able to email them directly. So the more that you can offer these kinds of webinars with a simple gate, which is just give me your email address. Well, now you're providing a great service to your audience and you're collecting their email addresses so that you can continue to provide even more great services. And so, yeah, we think about it like that. We produce these things. We know that there's high engagement. We know that we're their value to our audience. We're very happy to make them. And it helps us build and maintain a longer lasting relationship with the people who tune in. Sure. And the webinars, if they're done properly with some good talent in front of the camera, it's all all in the presentation. It's content is king and presentation is very important. And at the end there, you're providing a solution. Here are the resources. You can go get them brought to you by Entrepreneur. And if there's a, a sponsorship involved, they get the the mentions there as well. Exactly. Anyone can produce this. Yes. That's, super, super simple. It is so easy today. Not like it was when I first got into media. You know, I look like the magician or the, the wizard behind the curtain there, pulling buttons and lever, <laughs> pushing buttons and pulling levers just to get on the radio. It's so much easier. Right. And distribution is so easy. And Super easy. Couldn't be easier. I've said for 20 some odd years that distribution is the most important part of business because without it, you got nothing. That's right. And, you know, let me tell you, there's a, you can do this personally too, right? You don't need a big company. You don't need a big setup. If you want to see an example of this shrunk down to an individual level, then what you should do is go to jasonpfeiffer.com, my, my email address, jasonpfeiffer.com and look up at the top bar. And what you'll see is something called that's labeled free training. And uh, if you click on free training, what do you get? Well, what you get is this audio course that I created about how to find opportunity and change. And what do you know? All you need to do to get it is write in your email address. You know, this is a lead magnet so that I can build my newsletter and I can stay in touch with my audience. And these kinds of things work really, really well. And it was simple as could be. All I did was I put together um, this audio course. I wrote out a script. It was about 9,000 words. I narrated it. It was, it's, it comes out, it like logs in at about an hour. And then we built a simple landing page on MailChimp with an auto response so that, you know, you go there and you type in your email address and then you get an email with a link to the, uh, to the audio course. And, and these kinds of things are so easy for anybody to set up. It requires next to nothing to do. And the value it has a really long tail and you can, you can grow your audience in a million different ways. Nice website. I I just signed up. Oh, there thank you. you. I appreciate it. It, it Look worked. At that. <laughs> you, you got another subscriber there. Perfect. From the entrepreneur publication and 
which we look to you for guidance on how to run our businesses because mm-hmm. we're all entrepreneurs and damn it, we're proud to say it these days. And Absolutely. And technology has empowered all of us with opportunity, leveled the playing field. And now we can go out and do it. Anybody can become just about anything because that distribution bar has gotten so much easier to access as a result of technology. And the, what you've demonstrated in, with your own personal website and guidance and then leading it back over to Entrepreneur Magazine. Being an entrepreneur, we look to you for guidance. You have not only the webinars, but you also have on starting a business. I just did a show where we talked about everybody's got a great idea. Yeah, everyone's got an idea. Everybody's got an idea. Everyone's got 10 of them. That's right, but it it isn't worth anything until you turn it into a plan. But then, and in the example that I gave just a little bit ago was, I'm a great cook, so I'm going to open a restaurant. Right. So what, what do I need to know? I go into debt, I get all the equipment, and then suddenly I find myself, I'm no longer cooking, I'm managing my own soap opera. So- if I go to entrepreneur.com and I look at start a business, what are you going to tell me are the pieces of the puzzle that I need to put together? Because literally starting a business is putting a puzzle together and all the pieces are upside down. It sure is. I mean, we could talk all day with all the pieces that are required, but I think that the the very first things that you need, if you're just starting at the point in which you're identifying, which is to say, I've got an idea or maybe I've got 10 ideas and I don't exactly know what to do. Number one, Pick one of them. (laughs) I mean, so many people sit on the sidelines, can't figure out which idea. Maybe they want to try like three or four of them at the same time. And this is, I mean, I don't mean to be flip about this. This is where a lot of people stop because they cannot commit to a single idea. And so I just want to tell you, pick the idea that you're, pick the idea at the intersection of these two things, the one that you're most excited about and the one that you think you have the most reasonable chance of launching. Right? What requires things that you have in your grasp or that you can get? Right. So if your idea is launch a competitor to Elon Musk SpaceX, I don't think that's a good one to start with. Right. Like that, too much money, too much resources. But if your idea is start a food cart, that's that's more reasonable. So let's start with something that was is within your resources that you have the ability to actually build. And now the next thing is to keep in mind these wise words. And this comes from Reed Hoffman, co-founder of LinkedIn. He says, if you aren't embarrassed by your first product launch, then you launched too late. And and the idea is that you just have to get something out there. It's not going to be perfect. It may not even be good. Get what what is called a minimum viable product. Get something out there into the world so that you can start learning from it. Because I am telling you, every single giant company that you may aspire to be or that you work with, they didn't birth their idea the way that you know it now, right? Airbnb did not start out as Airbnb as you know it. Oh, it yeah, started right. out as a clunky idea that didn't really work, but they put it out there and they got some people to engage with it and then they learned from it and they went and they talked to those people and then they started building their feedback into the product and slowly, 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 they started to develop. Data is your best friend. Failure is your best friend because all of this stuff is what's going to enable you to grow. And so again, just to go back to the basics here, Pick an idea that you can actually get off the ground in some small but meaningful way and then do it knowing that it's not perfect, but knowing that you're putting something out in the world that somebody will engage with enough so that you can gather some data and start to build from there. Well, 
you are describing is what I call passion to profit. If you've got a passion, and mine have has always been horses, not the best one to go into business, but there's other things that the business can do for you, such as learn how to use the tax code and convert mm-hmm. ordinary expenses to deductions. I talk about that all the time. But like you're describing something that you are passionate about, that you know that you can take it to the next level and make it a business because nobody knows it better than you do, as opposed to going out and saying, you know what, I'm going to start an athletic company. Well, I'm the worst spokesperson for that. But (laughs) But you know what? If that's the case, if for some reason you want to start an athletic company and you are not an athlete and don't know anything about it, do you know something that's going to be valuable to this company? If the answer is yes, can you find other people who are going to fill in the gaps for you? I mean, oftentimes when you see a founding team, what you see is really a perfect marriage of knowledge and skill sets. So maybe you have a technical co-founder, right? And you also have a a marketing co-founder. And so if you are the least athletic person in the world, but for some reason you have a great idea for an athletics company. Well, okay. What are you bringing to it? Are you a logistics expert? Are you great at manufacturing? Are you a marketing person? What is it that you have? Know that. Have the situational awareness to know what you know and what you don't, and then go find people who you can partner with together to get this thing off the ground. That is entirely possible. And you see those kinds of teams all the time. That is the perfect lead-in to my five points. In order to have a successful business, folks, go to bizsoup.com and you can get my five points, which is the idea, the plan, the people, the execution, and the solution. Take any one of them away and you will fail. This is what I learned in creating my multiple businesses over these decades that I've been doing this. Jason, I can't thank you enough for being on this Serving of Business Soup. I hope that you'll accept our invitation to come back again. This is a short story program. We get to the point. And for those of you who would like to reach Jason, well, there's only one place you need to go. It's where business goes for business, bizsoup.com. Jason, thanks for being on this Serving of Business Soup. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And by the way, for podcast listeners, Build for Tomorrow, I'm just going to throw a shout out there. That's my show, Build for Tomorrow. It's a show about how change happens. I'd love for you to check it out. Thanks so much. And you'll find that in the transcripts and on the links on bizsoup.com. Jason, thank you. Thank you. This has been another serving of Business Soup, where business comes for business. I'm John Debevoise, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.